Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be a discussion about Mosiah chapter 11. So this is about, about King Noah, but let me read a few things first to kind of give us an overview of what's going to happen here. King Noah's people become as wicked, so wicked, that the, the Lord sent a prophet named Abinadi to warn them of their destruction if they did not repent. These chapters give an account of the ministry of Abinadi and, and uh, record his testimony, which focused on the Savior, Jesus Christ, and his atonement. Joseph B. Worthland said, The testimony Abinadi bore as he called an apostate King Noah and his priests to repentance is one of the most significant doctrinal discourses in the Book of Mormon. The king and his priests, except one, rejected Abinadi's teaching and had him put to death. That one was Alma. Elder Robert E. Hale said, um, The firmness of Abinadi's faith is found in, his, in this poignant uh, entry in the sacred record, and now when Abinadi had said these words, he fell, having suffered death by fire, yea, having been put to death because he would not deny the, the commandments of God, having sealed the truth of his words by his death. Uh, what a powerful example Abinadi should be to all of us. He courageously obeyed the, the Lord's commandments, even though it cost him his life. <clears throat> all right, so um, what Mormon is doing here, in, in, uh, including this story about uh, Noah, is to show the difference between a good king, King Benjamin, and a bad king, King Noah, and also that Abinadi is a type of Christ. Verse 1, And now it came to pass that Zenith conferred the kingdom upon Noah, one of his sons. Therefore Noah began to reign in his stead, and he did not walk in the ways of, the, of his father. For behold, he did not keep the commandments of God, but he did, but he did walk after the desires of his own heart, and he had many wives and concubines, and he did cause his people to commit sin and do that which was abominable in the sight of the Lord. Yea, and they did commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness. Uh, this is the breaking up of the family uh, where, he's, where all these things are going on. The proclamation on the family presented by the apostles is to strengthen families. Verse 3, And he laid a tax of one-fifth or 20% of all, that he, of all they possessed, a fifth part of their gold and of their silver, and a fifth part of their ziff. A ziff is a Hebrew word for brightness, and of their copper, and of their brass, and their iron, and a fifth part of their fatlings, and also a fifth part of all their grain. Is this suggesting that uh, when taxes reach 20% that there is a serious problem with the government? Our tax percentage is higher than that. I guess we're in trouble. Now that, now that was a perfectly normal tax in all ancient societies. It was not oppressive. You could still prosper with it. But of course, the problem was what it was used for. It was wasted. It was put to waste. Verse four, and all this, uh, and all this did he take to support himself and his wives and his concubines, and also his priests and their wives and their concubines. Thus he had changed the affairs of the kingdom. It wasn't so much that the, the, the tax was bad, but the purpose for which it was used, and that was to keep the king and his priests uh, in their wickedness. Verse five, for he put down all the priests that had been consecrated by his father. It is possible that Abinadi was one of these priests that had been removed and consecrated new ones in their stead, such as were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Of interest, but unclear in the Book of Mormon, is what authority, if any, the priests had who were consecrated by Zenith. 
Assuming Zenith to, be, to have been properly ordained, it may well be that Alma traced his authority to this source. Where did Zenith get his power to consecrate the priests? Answer, they came out of the land of Lehi-Nephi and Mosiah was in charge. He got it from Mosiah. Mosiah's authority was passed down from the beginning. He was Nephite too and had it from Nephi. It came through that line. That's Hugh Nibley. Verse 6, Yea, and thus they were supported in their laziness and in their idolatry and in their whoredoms by the taxes which King Benjamin had put upon his people. Thus did the people labor exceedingly to support iniquity. Yea, and they also became idolatrous, because they were deceived by the vain and flattering words of the king and priests, for they did speak flattering things unto them. That's the problem here with having a bad king, is that he can convince the people to do the same. Unrighteous governments in all ages have maintained power by appealing to the vanity of the people over whom they rule. Two of the most common ways of doing this are building large buildings and other highly visible monuments that supposedly demonstrate the greatness and prestige of the nation. Have you, have you noticed that a lot of the buildings, especially the ones built in the early 1900s, are so big and, and so ornate and have giant pillars and so on that they look like temples? I wonder if that was done on purpose to make them think that they're legitimate. Even banks, a lot of the older banks have giant pillars too to make them look like temples, uh, to, give, to, give us, to make us feel good that, that when we go into a bank, we're going into a temple or a good place, when quite the opposite is what's happening. And two, being victorious in warfare, demonstrating the supposed superiority of one's forces over those of a foe. Vain people allow themselves to be seduced by such meaningless and shallow displays of presumed glory. President Kimball said, The Lord has blessed us as a people with a prosperity unequaled in times past. The resources that have been placed in our power are good and necessary to our work here on the earth. But I'm afraid that many of us have been surfeited with flocks and herds and acres and barns and wealth and have begun to worship them as false gods. And they have power over us. Do we have more of these goods, good things than our faith can stand? Many people spend most of their time working in the service of a self-image that, that includes sufficient money, stocks, bonds, investment portfolios, property, credit cards, furnishings, automobiles, and the like to guarantee carnal security throughout it is hoped a long and happy life. As the Lord himself said in our day, they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God, whose image is the likeness of the world and whose substance is that of an idol, which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall. Verse 8, And it came to pass that King Noah built many elegant and spacious buildings, and he ornamented them with fine work of wood, and of all manner of precious things, of gold and of silver, and of brass and iron, and of ziff and of copper. And he also built him a spacious palace and a throne in the midst thereof, all of which was of fine wood and was ornamented with gold and silver and with precious things. And he also caused that his workmen should work all manner of fine work within the walls of the temple, of fine wood and of copper and of brass. And the seats which were set apart for the high priests, which were above all the other seats, he did ornament with pure gold. And he caused a breastwork to be built before them that they might rest them rest their bodies and their arms upon while they should speak lying and vain words to his people. And it came to pass that he built a tower near the temple, yea, a very high tower, even so high that he could stand upon the top thereof and overlook the land of Shilom and also the land of Shemmon, which was possessed by the Lamanites. And he could even look over all the land round about. And it came to pass that he caused many buildings to be built in the land Shilom. And he caused a great tower to be built on the hill north of the land Shalom, which had been a resort for the children of Nephi at, that, at the time they fled out of the land. And thus he did do with the, with the riches which he obtained by the taxation of his people. And it came to pass that he 
placed his heart upon his riches, and he spent his time in riotous living with his wives and his concubines, and so did also his priests spend their time with harlots. And it came to pass that he planted vineyards round about in the land, and he also built and he built wine presses and made wine in abundance, and therefore he became a wine bibber and also his people. In other words, he drank a lot. And it came to pass that the Lamanites began to come in upon the upon his people upon small numbers and and to slay them in their fields and while they were tending their flocks. That should have been a hint. Now, if the Lamanites are starting to attack, maybe there's something wrong here. And King Noah sent guards round about the land to keep them off, but he did not send a sufficient number. And the Lamanites came upon them and killed them and drove many of their flocks out of the land. Thus, the Lamanites began to destroy them and to exercise their hatred upon them. And it came to pass that King Noah sent his armies against them, and they were driven back, or they drove them back for a time. Therefore, they returned rejoicing in their spoil. They didn't take back that which was stolen, but spoil. And now, because of this thing, of this great victory, they were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. They did boast in their own strength, saying that their fifty could stand against thousands of the Lamanites. And thus they did boast and did delight in blood and the shedding of the blood of their brethren, and this because of the wickedness of their king and priests." President Kimball um, also says that we are a warlike people, easily distracted from our assignment of preparing for the coming of the Lord. When enemies rise up, we commit vast resources to the fabrication of gods and stone and steel and ships, planes, missiles, fortifications, and depend on them for protection and deliverance. When threatened, we become anti-enemy instead of pro-kingdom of God. We train a man in the art of war and call him a patriot. Thus, in the manner of Satan's counterfeit of true patriotism, perverting the Savior's teaching, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. What are we to fear when the Lord is with us? Can we not take the Lord at his word and exercise a particle of faith in him? Our assignment is affirmative to forsake the things of the world as, end, as ends in themselves, to leave off idolatry and press forward in faith to carry the gospel to our enemies that they might no longer be our enemies. President Kimball is stating the ideal that if we were sufficiently righteous, the Lord would fight our battles for us. But we must be prepared for war if, if when it comes, if and when it comes. We must be strong to ensure peace. Um, let's go verse 20 now. And it came to pass, Mormon has set the stage for what he really wants to tell us, and that is the story of Abinadi. That there was a man among them whose name was Abinadi, and he went forth among them and began to prophesy, saying, Behold, thus saith the Lord, and thus hath he commanded me, saying, Go forth and say unto this people, Thus saith the Lord, Woe be unto this people, for I have seen their abominations, and their wickedness, and their whoredoms, and except they repent, I will visit them in mine anger. And except they repent and turn to the Lord their God, behold, I will deliver them into the hands of their enemies. Yea, and they that and they shall be brought into bondage, and they shall be afflicted by the hand of their enemies. And it came to pass that they shall know that I am the Lord their God, and, and am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of my people. In other words, God will chasten us to help us return to him. And it shall come to pass that except this people repent and turn unto unto the Lord their God, they shall be brought into bondage, and none shall deliver them, except it be the Lord the, the Almighty God. Yea, and it shall come to pass that when they shall cry unto me, I will be slow to hear their cries. Yea, and I will suffer them that they be smitten by their enemies. And except they repent in sackcloth or goat hair and ashes and cry mightily to the Lord their God, I will not hear their prayers, neither will I deliver them out of their afflictions. And thus saith the Lord, and thus hath he commanded me. Now, notice that these prophecies that he's giving here, he's, he's saying, except you do this, or if you do this, then this will happen. These are conditional 
prophecies uh, that could be changed if they were keeping the commandments. After two years, Abinadi came again among the people, this time in disguise to deliver a second message. Notice that the nature of his message has changed. The judgment he enumerates are not conditional. Again and again, Abinadi employs phrases like, um, I will visit them in mine anger, or it shall come to pass, or they shall be smitten. The only conditional warning of this message is the final one, and it shall come to pass that, they, that except they repent, I will utterly destroy them from off the face of the earth. Now it came to pass that when Abinadi had spoken these words unto them, they were wroth with him and sought to take away his life, but the Lord delivered him out of their hands. Now when King Noah had heard of the words which Abinadi had spoken unto, his pe unto the people, he was also wroth, and he said, Who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged of him? Or who is the Lord that shall bring upon my people such great affliction? I command you to bring Abinadi hither, that I may slay him, for he has said these things, that he might stir up my people to anger one with another, and to raise contentions among my people, therefore I will slay him. To, to the king, this is an act of treason, which is punishable by death. By stirring up the people and causing civil unrest, that's a punishable offense. Now the eyes of the people were blinded, therefore they hardened their hearts against the words of Abinadi, and they sought from that time forward to take him. And King Noah hardened his heart against the word of the Lord, and he did not repent of his evil doings. And so Abinadi comes here to, to, to call them to repentance, to tell them that they can escape the, the uh, destruction or the bondage that will happen if they don't repent. Um, but in fact, the people and the king here want Abinadi to be killed. So they're, they're not uh, heeding the words of the prophets here. I pray that as we hear the words of the prophets, that we will adhere to their teachings and do the things that they're telling us to do. Uh, that as President Nelson leads the church and guides us today, that we'll do the things that the prophet and the twelve are telling us to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hope to see you next time. Bye.